a lab could say you have low hormones, but if you don't feel those, are we going to believe what the lab says or what you feel? And then if you have normal levels of estrogen, but you have all of the symptoms of estrogen dominance, I'm going to go with the greatest feedback tool there ever was, and that's the human body. Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden a board-certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. Hello, GCR listeners, and happy holidays to everyone out there partaking in whatever holiday you choose to embark upon. Anyways, I had the opportunity here, my, my buddy, Victor Elmer, Dr. Elmer, who's actually a former guest on the podcast, where he talked about all about breath work and unpacking some of the misconceptions and myths behind breathing, asked me to be on his Instagram. So the two of us did an Instagram live where we covered the connection between gut health and hormone symptoms. So this podcast will be the audio recording from our Instagram live session. And we briefly touch on sort of the basics of the connection between gut and hormonal health. But honestly, most of this Instagram live, we touched on the, those five pillars of health that I'm always harping on so much with my patients and the people I work with of nutrition, stress management, movement habits, life purpose, sleep hygiene. And we really just touch on Yes, everyone knows those five, but what does it practically look like? And, you know, how do you know when you need to put more effort into one of those five buckets and put one of the other buckets on autopilot? And then we, we also touch on some of the implications for using different supplementation to try and improve your hormones via improving your gut. And also a little bit on the use of hormone replacement therapy and kind of my thinking and my framework for where I would put hormone replacement therapy, whether it would be natural, synthetic, and the hierarchy of working with someone. And with that, I hope you guys enjoy my Instagram live here with Dr. Victor. No, life is life is good. Yeah, we like I said, we closed on our condo like two weeks ago. And so just been getting that done and managing that and everything happening with the business here. But it's, you know, it's the season of gratitude. And there's so much for us to be grateful for this time of year, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, oh, there, there you go. go. Oh, there oh, he is. I decided to flip my iPad. <laughs> oh, oh you, yeah. you were, you're cutting it. Yeah, I did not. Last little bit of that. How, I didn't realize how cold it gets in Arizona. Oh, it's not that cold. This isn't Midwest cold, but it's pretty cold. It's colder than I thought it would be. It still does feel cold. Yeah, like you, there's definitely adaptation that happens. Yeah, and I found out, I guess, the cloud cover, like when it's a little bit more cloudy on those days, and it's warmer at night because the clouds keep things insulated. And hmm. I was like, oh, that's super interesting. I noticed that myself, and then I had multiple patients. Ah, interesting. Learn something new every, every day. Yeah. Hopefully we're, people well, we're here to learn some stuff from you. Um, 
know, hopefully the connection stays pretty steady. But if you want to tell, I know we've got a couple people in here. If you want to kind of run through maybe your journey into functional medicine, you have kind of a uh, interest in gut health specifically. And I think maybe this topic that we're going to talk about in general, the connection between gut health and hormonal health. Uh, so if you want to go through kind of what got you into it, and then we can kind of just roll from there. I'm sure questions will either come in or I'll think of something to ask. Yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you having me on for this. I always love the, you know, everyone says this, but it's, it's just so real. It's so fun to connect with people who care and with people who just want to know more and try and attempt to grow everyone else's knowledge base. So I appreciate the opportunity. And I think for me, I'll try and give the abbreviated version. It probably starts like a lot of other people in healthcare. I dealt with my own set of GI and hormonal issues and rabbit hold down everything I possibly could in order to figure it out on myself. And then that was kind of fun for me to go through that. Well, and sometimes it wasn't as fun in the moment, but once you come out on the other side, you realize how fun it is. And then you realize, oh, if that was fun for me to troubleshoot and figure out, I wonder what it would be like to work with other people in this same vein. And I you know, made the decision to switch careers because I found it more joyful to help people with this versus finances and accounting. So here we are. Yeah, that was so interesting to find out about you during school, uh, that that was your career to begin with. And you took a very radical shift in your life. 18 months and in, yep. That's quite inspiring. Honestly, I mean, you hear about those stories from people who are, I don't know, big name, whatever, and like all those inspiring videos and quotes, but uh, to know someone who actually walked that walk <clears throat> is pretty cool. Uh, um, so what, I guess as a general question, <clears throat> I was thinking about this this morning, it's kind of hard to bridge this gap between gut health and hormonal health. When I think hormones, I think thyroid, I think pituitary, I think things up in the brain and well outside of the gut system in general. And when I think of gut, I think of elimination, I think of food absorption, I think nutrient deficiencies, these sorts of things. So what is it about, I'm sure this is probably like a seven day seminar you can give Coming to you soon, yeah, no, I'm kidding. So you can go as deep as you want. <laughs> and do you want to kind of bridge that gap in general from, let's say, just gut health to the thyroid, maybe even? Mm, yeah, I think that's a, a great place to start and very good on your end to deposit it that way of, hey, the hormones and GI, what's the relation? Why should we even care? Why should people even tune into this video? And I think you realize that a lot of the textbook hormone symptoms, so we'll fatigue, brain fog, and even digestive issues, people are trying to throw so many nutritional interventions or supplements or things specifically for the thyroid or things specifically for the adrenal glands or things specifically for estrogen and testosterone. And if you think about it, one of two things. Number one, all the nutrition you're consuming and all the supplements you're taking have to be absorbed within the GI. So if that's off, then you're almost, you're kind of putting the, the, the cart before the horse because it's not even being assimilated and you're not even able to use it. Number two, 
started discovering that a lot of his hormone symptoms could be improved by working directly on improving the gut health or improving gut health. And that could be things like dietary interventions, like a low FODMAP diet, or even like specific carbohydrate or taking certain probiotics or taking certain herbs specific for the GI. When you start to improve those, you really start to fix everything else upstream, including a lot of these hormone symptoms. So the fatigue, the brain fog, and obviously constipation, because we know there's a pretty strong link between low thyroid function and constipation. So if, to me, that just made sense of, hey, if you work on improving the gut directly, then everything else upstream, like I said, will hopefully improve. And I, I observed that in myself, and then I have started observing that clinically. So I thought, oh, wow, there's, there's something to this. This is pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like I have a million-dollar question here, and you keep using the word symptoms, hormone symptoms. Mm -hmm. How much of those hormone symptoms are actually <clears throat> potentially gut symptoms? like fatigue, brain fog, these sorts of things are, I think, I feel like in the last 10 ish years is kind of when we started to hear more, more mainstream about the gut, <clears throat> gut connection to everything really. Mm -hmm. But are you verifying that you're changing hormone levels with labs or things of that nature? Or are you fixing, are these symptoms going away that were deemed hormonal by fixing the gut? Um, are you just kind of going by symptoms or are you actually verifying with the labs and how, how do you know if it's truly hormonal or is that kind of just like speculation at this point? Like maybe they were truly caused by gut insufficiencies of any, any kind. Yeah. I think that's a, another great question in two points to segue off of what you said about labs. What I started realizing both from my clinical work and from a lot of the mentors that I have is when people have a lot of those classic hormone symptoms, mood swings, irritability, fatigue, brain fog, cramping, pain, and then you run an extensive thyroid panel or even all, you know, all three of the estrogens, progesterone, and all of the pituitary hormones, and everything comes back normal, and they still have hormone symptoms. You're kind of sitting there shaking your head going, Okay, if, it's, if they're having symptoms of high or estrogen dominance, but their estrogen levels are normal, what's the story, kind of what's happening? And then you dig into the literature and you find that part of estrogen detoxification, people always associate it with the liver, but actually more enzymatic and metabolic reactions take place in the gut to detoxify estrogens and excess hormone than they do in the liver. So you're like, huh. You know what, and then you realize you go a step even further. What things in the gut are causing that to happen? And it's the gut microbiome. And I think a big reason we've gained such a an interest in gut health has become such a buzzword. I think it was in 2008 we were able to something called the Human Microbiome Project, where we were literally able to sequence for the first time a lot of the genome within the microbiome and start to characterize okay who's there and more importantly what are they doing. And there's a lot of Obviously, stool testing has become pretty popular itself, and I think that's sort of in its infancy, but it's, we finally have some sort of window into what's happening within the gut because things like colonoscopies and endoscopies can't really see the microbes. You know, they can pick up on blatant inflammation for inflammatory bowel disease, 
but they can't really pick up on subtle changes in the microbiome from food poisoning that could lead to IBS. That's a long-winded answer. <clears throat> well, that's, that's why we're doing this. Yeah. Um, so what's your approach if someone comes in, they have, um, they've already gotten labs, oh, my estrogen's off or whatever, some, some hormone lab work that is clearly off. And I know we've talked about this a little bit. I think you've done either some other Instagram posts in the past about how much you go off of lab work versus how someone feels. Cause that can be, uh, there can be a mismatch there. Their lab work can be really crappy, but they feel fine and vice versa. So kind of what's your like first step approach if someone comes to you and they're, they, they have lab work that proves their hormone levels are off. Are you kind of biased towards thinking about like gut related questions to see if you should start there or are you kind of attacking the hormones first and like what's your thought process with that yeah i think first off i want to know what their symptoms have been and how they've been feeling because and you kind of already alluded to this a little bit but it's my opinion and some people may disagree and that's completely fine it's, it's fun to have discerning opinions but your, your body is the greatest feedback tool, and it will tell us more about how different lifestyle, nutrition, or supplement interventions are helping you versus what a lab says. So like I said, a lab could say you have low hormones, but if you don't feel those, are we going to believe what the lab says or what you feel? And then vice versa, like I just talked about, if you have normal levels of estrogen, but you have all of the symptoms of estrogen dominance, I'm going to go with the greatest feedback tool there ever was, and that's the human body. Yeah. Yeah. The typical that I've uh, heard a lot is, oh, I went to, I went to a bunch of docs. <clears throat> My lab work came back normal, so they told me nothing was wrong. And to your point, it's like, well, clearly something's wrong. You feel like crap. So let's dig into that more. But sorry, I cut you off. I just, I heard, I've heard that so much already. Yeah, and that's probably one of the the number one things I hear from people is, oh, I got all my regular stuff and they said it was normal, which is still a really good sign because if any of that came back wonky, then there's really stuff going on. So I think it's, it's still important to rule out a lot of these really big potential things. But, but I think, you know, the more functional disorders and conditions, that's kind of where we shine because we're able to pick up on the subtleties and we have the time to listen to, you know, what, nutritional interventions like if you if you if we're doing history and you, you have a lot of estrogen dominant type symptoms and you tell me oh yeah i did a ketogenic approach for like three weeks and i felt horrible it's like okay your, your body probably operates more off of carbohydrates versus if you tell me yeah when i tried uh, like prebiotics i got more bloated it's like oh maybe there's some potential you know it's called gut dysbiosis happening within the gi and you have more weeds than flowers and we got to worry about creating that. So it, it's really, I think a good history will get you just as much information, if not more than even the most extensive lab work. And this sounds, I mean, obviously this is why you spend so much time. I know I've talked to you before when, after you've done a consult with so-and-so patient and you spend like a couple of days thinking about their case mm -hmm. and you spend so much time, which I love. I wish in the musculoskeletal realm, I had that, uh, opportunity. Maybe I will, if I can figure out a model to do that, but it really seems like, and I know it's kind of 
cliche at this point to say it, but it's N equals one, like a prebiotic or this supplement might work for somebody with, let's say low estrogen, but then the next person has low estrogen and none of those things work. Um, so you're always having to kind of pivot. And of course we kind of gain insight through our experience and that helps. And you kind of have these archetypes of patients, at least in my mind now, um, of the, okay, I think this might work for you. Uh, on that same vein, kind of off topic though, in general, I'm assuming you, you're approaching kind of these big rocks, like lifestyle rocks. Are you getting good sleep? Are you having fun? Are you exercising? Are you getting some sunlight? Are you eating McDonald's and whatever every single day and then wondering why you feel like crap? Um, so is that sort of your approach and then you add supplements and other kind of fancy smancy stuff if it's needed? Or yeah, what's kind of your mindset on that? Yeah, that's great. Another great question. I think the one of the beautiful things that functional medicine has sort of brought to this world is this sort of model where if you master the the most foundational tools of health, so that's nutrition, sleep hygiene, stress management practices, sleep hygiene, life purpose, if you manage those five, or movement habits, sorry, life purpose, if you manage those five things well, that should be about 80% of what you use. And then the last little 20% is sort of the cherry on top of the the sexy supplements or all the, the sexy lab testing that could be a stool test, a Dutch test, a SIBO breath test, you know, all these things that are, they're what sells and they're what's very clickbaity on Instagram and on social media. But in all actuality, if you master those fundamentals, you realize that you don't actually need a lot of these other things upstream. And you sort of, what I tell the people that I work with is, we sort of want to earn the right to use all these different supplements. Because supplements can work really, really well when they're stacked on top of a really solid pyramidal foundation of those five big lifestyle pillars. And I, I think that's, that's a hard message to sell in today's day and age because if you want to be noticed on social media, you have to say something incredibly outlandish or you have to claim <laughs> that you're not taking any testosterone even though you're clearly <laughs> incredibly ma ma um, have a lot of muscle mass. Uh, yeah, so I, I just think it's it's very difficult to to sell that. But once people experience it, they're you know I've had people come into me and they say, oh, I, I was ready for you to tell me I need to get thousand dollars worth of lab testing and I have to be on fifteen twenty supplements. You know, I had a woman come in a couple of weeks ago, and she gave me what she was currently taking when she was coming to see me. She was on twenty three supplements, and the best best part about it was she listed out all of them. She listed out curcumin and turmeric separately, meaning whoever yeah. recommended her takes those doesn't understand that curcumin is actually the bioactive component, or it's oh. the thing in turmeric that actually gives us the anti-inflammatory benefits. So I'm just like, we, we in the natural alternative space, I feel like have done such a, a disjustice for people about overemphasizing some of these supplements and lab tests versus the, the big pillars of health. Yeah, and I know I mean, there's a lot of people <clears throat> that are like, oh, I don't want to take pills. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And, well, really with the pills thing and more of like the, the long name chemical compounds that I can't pronounce, uh, kind of class of them. And 
Yeah, it might be better on the surface to take some of these more natural supplements, if you will. But at the end of the day, like you're kind of alluding to, you're covering up a terrible lifestyle. And yeah. it's just not going to work. I've been there. You try to, even if they're more natural in the organ supplements, all these things, if you're going to mm -hmm. not doing these basics, good luck taking all these other supplements. And sometimes, and I'm sure you've been there, or you've already seen this, like sometimes it can be helpful to kind of yeah get someone to i don't know to change some of those big rocks or make them even a little bit more effective um but yeah no it's uh it's almost like the whole pharma thing in disguise in a way yeah i think like, i've yeah they get back to the basics that we know work and like you said it's not sexy and we all want one a quick fix and two um maybe it's like a novel approach and yeah, we just, so there's not, the scarcity nowadays is, yeah, just doing the, the basics consistently well. And that's, oh, that's almost becoming a novel approach. Yeah. And I think if, you know, if you're someone listening into this and you're like, well, everyone on the internet is just, they're all, they're all saying the same things about exercise, nutrition, sleep hygiene. I think what you probably need to figure out is which one of those big pillars you are neglecting the most. Because whichever one of those you're putting the least effort in, is probably where you're going to get the most bang for your buck if you address. So if, if you are hyper obsessive over your nutrition and you meditate for 30 minutes a day, but you're not strength training multiple times a week and you're not doing a certain amount of zone two exercise, and if you're not prioritizing your pre-bed, take away the emphasis from nutrition and stress management and put exercise and sleep hygiene. So I think it's always, always tweaking those five and always figuring out, okay, which one of those five pillars needs my effort the most right now? Like I can put nutrition on autopilot because I probably should focus on my exercise a little bit more. Before I ask you a question that we got about the topic we were supposed to discuss on this, on this uh, thought train that you're talking about, I think one of the more pervasive things in the, especially just the natural health space really is stress. I'm, clearly one of these people well, maybe clearly more to you because we've been talking for years but i think i've seen a lot of people and known a lot of people where you're eating well you're trying to sleep well you exercise you get you do all of those big pillars but it's in a way for whatever reason it's very you're in a stressed state doing all of those and you're like oh, i'm doing all the right things why am i not feeling better and it's like but you can't really see that it's hard to see in yourself until someone points it out i think and I think it's so, so pervasive. Like <clears throat> I was I kind of joke, I'm like half serious, half joking when I say this, but one of my buddies <clears throat> back home, I mean, he just eats like crap. Like we were on a road trip. We was actually moving here. The kid eats Sour Patch Kids and like Twinkies and so like just garbage, but he doesn't have any health problems. And I'm over here stressing about eating super healthy, blah, blah, blah. And I can't sleep and all these other things. And it's like, well, I almost would rather eat a crappy diet, which obviously it wouldn't be ideal, but eat a crappy diet and not stress about it like at all versus being so stressed out eating my chicken and avocado and eggs for breakfast or whatever it is. Like, I think stress is just, it's such a killer, man. It's such a killer. I think at some point you need to give yourself permission to go live your life and yeah not live your life based on your symptoms and to just go out and express, express joy, express happiness, express gratitude, express your passion. Like at some point, I, you know, when you talk, talk to people enough, 
you, when you find out that when they go on vacation and when they're doing, engaging in a task they really love, like I had a woman last week who has migraines every single day. And I, and she goes, she went on vacation and for a couple of days and I said, what happened to your migraines then? She goes, oh, I didn't have them. I'm going, huh? <laughs> or that she, she made time to do stuff she loves. And she goes, oh yeah, I guess I didn't have it when I was doing that. So it's like when people are living their life doing what they were meant to do on this earth, all those symptoms go away. And it's yeah. as much as we love to geek out over the nuance of different biochemical pathways and different supplements and different lab testing. When you just get back to living your life, like go do it. Like don't, don't let your symptoms hold you back, which I understand is it's hard. That is one of the hardest places to get to is to feel comfortable enough to go out and live because you're like, ah, I feel like, like I should feel a hundred percent, but I feel nine and I don't feel like 90 is good enough. It's like, no, no, no. Like, I think you're good. It's almost yeah. like giving people permission to express. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, it's almost like a mental trap. Like, I don't feel 100%, so I'm not going to go out and do those things. But you end up finding out when you go do those things, that extra 10, 20, 30% of your health automatically just randomly starts coming, randomly starts coming back. And I feel like I mean, I have more of like a spiritual esoteric interest in this life. And it's almost like the body is kind of speaking to you like, hey, you're not following your purpose. You're not yeah. doing this. Like you're not in alignment or whatever. And kind of get distracted by all of the complexities of the, the body is so incredibly complex. It's so like, it's incredible. But I almost think we're getting too distracted by that. And like, we've kind of been talking about this whole time, hit those basics first and then kind of see what's left over but yeah you're gonna get like quote-unquote dysfunctions and all these things when you're not doing the things that this body needs to to be healthy sleep exercise sunlight purpose having fun sort of the, the some of those like more abstract non-concrete things as well i think that we won't typically think about with health yeah um, and i think if you're a, a health optimizer look at your life purpose because like we said, we, we've both been there where we hyper obsess over nutrition, movement, stress, sleep, and we totally neglect life purpose. And when you put effort back into life purpose, it's amazing how much better you can feel. I actually, it's really interesting because I just started my business and I started working with some clients online, mm -hmm. kind of questioned like how much we need food sometimes. Like if you're just like almost fueled mm -hmm. by life, sometimes you don't even need to eat. I feel feel like like you're almost fueled by the emotion and like the enjoyment of just doing what you're doing at this point i should ask the one hormonal question <laughs> <laughs> throw it in there yeah yeah it's from our beloved Corey, anyway so uh, <laughs> oh see bailey build uh so, so considering hormone replacement therapy with postmenopausal women and middle-aged men any considerations, implications, side effects, alternatives uh, that you would want to touch on for HRT. Yeah, that, woo, yeah, it's, a, it's a big topic. <laughs> I think what I'll say, first off, I'm not an expert in hormone replacement therapy. It's, it's not within my scope. So if people are looking to rabbit hole down hormone replacement therapy, people like Peter Atia, who is probably one of the intellectual but just great thinkers of our time in terms of how he approaches 
healthcare because he's a traditional medical doctor, but he also understands a lot of these tenants. So he, he combines the two very well. So if you're interested in diving deep down that, I would check out Peter Atia, hormone replacement. He's phenomenal. I think similar to the supplement realm, I think if you stack hormone replacement therapy on top of really solid foundations of health, I think it can only work to enhance and to improve your quality of life. I actually used to be in this camp of I would poo-poo people who went on hormone replacement therapy or did things like that. And then you realize those are some of the, the greatest creations of our modern times are a lot like Think about someone who is a type 1 diabetic. Previously, 100 years ago, there wasn't insulin. So the, their, their life expectancy was, was not great. But now we have insulin. And now they can live. Or if you have Hashimoto's or if you had thyroid cancer, you had your thyroid removed because of thyroid hormone replacement therapy, you can now live a relatively normal life because of that creation. So I think in our space, sometimes we poo-poo that approach too much. And when it's used as a Band-Aid, it's, it's the same, it, that's the problem. And it's the same thing to using any supplements or thyroid support as yeah, a band-aid. Yeah. But, when it's, but when it's used to enhance and to add in that last, you know, five, 10% to someone's life, it's beautiful. Yeah, no, totally. And I feel like, I mean, you keep, you keep coming back to those five pillars or five tenets of, of foundations of health anyway. Do you know of any alternatives to hormone replacement therapy as far as like supplements or... I don't know, any other therapies out there that might be alternatives or, or is that kind of, I mean, you have the foundations, you have HRT, is that kind of it as far as your options go? This kind of speaks to the point of this discussion, but I think once you've optimized those big five and then you've also optimized your gut health, obviously, if you're dealing with women, things like black cohosh, donkwai, Indian ginseng, a lot of these things can be really beneficial. And if you're a male and you're looking to support testosterone, Things like ashwagandha, tribulus, tongkat ali. You know, there's lots of different compounds that we could really, we could spend so much time geeking out over the effects that they could have. So there is, there's definitely alternatives. I think it's really up to you whether you with using those more traditional herbal remedies or if you're someone who goes, you know what, I don't mind being put on, you know, 500 milligrams of exogenous testosterone or I don't mind being put on you know, exogenous estrogen or progesterone for a little bit just to further en enhance my quality of life. Because there's, like I said, on, on Piratia's stuff, there's some really good data. If you give the right amount of hormone replacement therapy, you can really see a lot of improvements in both longevity. Is there kind of a point, so let's say someone responds really well to a little bit of like testosterone, for instance, if you give them more, I assume that's not necessarily better. And then you might actually see negative side effects from that in general, really with hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, I, yeah, I see. And again, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, but you know, just based on my understanding, there's probably a, a balancing point or a set point sure. that if you give the body enough, it feels good. But just like any hormone, if you overdo it, you're probably going to get the same symptoms of low hormones. So there's kind of this reversed U-shaped curve where here's not enough hormone, here's too much. And on this X or on this Y axis is how you feel. So if you give just the right amount, it'll be at the top of that curve. So if you do it too much or too little, I mean, it's just, just like anything like, yeah, yeah, if you overdo it or underdo it, you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll know, you'll probably feel it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I need to wrap this up because I need to get ready for work. But yeah. you guys give everyone on here 
let's say two, maybe three tips on optimizing their gut health, what would they be? Yeah, I think the first one, I would look to include more diversity in your nutrition. Because even a lot of health conscious people, we get into the habit of we meal prep, but we meal prep the same three to five foods each week. So I think if you can make an effort to rotate vegetables, even meats and nuts and seeds that you consume, maybe on it. So each week you go to the grocery store, just order, go to like a different section and get different things. You know, because there's some evidence that people who eat 30 or more different kinds of plant material in a week have greater gut diversity than those who don't. And 30 is a, a, a difficult number to get to. I've tried and because I felt like I was conscious of it, but then I was only in the mid-20s. So I thought, wow, it's, you really got to put in some effort at the grocery store to get to 30 different types of plant yeah, material. But, but if you can work through that, I think that's a, a phenomenal strategy. And number two, I'll, I'll, still, I'll still do three. Number two, take some time before a meal to become mindful. I think that's where prayer is so powerful or if you can do some sort of meditation, not 15 minutes, but even just like 30 seconds of inhalation, exhalation. If you can do something before a meal to really engage the parasympathetic nervous system, I think you're, you're going to go a long way. And number three, if you can do more low-level low physical activity, I think that, that it, especially for people that have constipation or, or bloating or very textbook GI symptoms, if you can just do more low-level activity, a five to ten-minute walk after your biggest meal of the day, that'll go a long way. Yeah, I love it. And on number two, I always I, – I forget where I heard this. Maybe it was in David Seaman's book, like, back in school, when it was, a, like, a big thing. Um, like, the Mediterranean diet is not only what people eat over in that region of the world, but it's also how they eat. And it's a big meal. They have friends. They have family. They're laughing. It's relaxed. That's kind of what you were alluding to, like switch your nervous system. If you are always operating on stress and you eat a meal, if you eat that same meal in a not stressed state, you're going to digest that meal very differently. Uh, so that's huge. Yeah, like if you eat a paleo meal, but you're sitting in the corner by yourself, I think you're not going to digest that as well than if you're eating a piece of cake with all your family on your grandmother's birthday. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting what all... I mean, we can always geek out about the complexities and you and I love to do that. Um, so yeah, we'll have to keep this going. I know you and I have talked about doing a series, I don't know, five, top five or 10 myths or something about functional medicine or about metabolic health, whatever we want to do come the new year. Uh, so we can talk about that and start kind of uh, sharing that on IG a little bit, get people excited, but definitely appreciate your time. Um, Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating or review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.